What's up, Top Dog? Same old. Just getting ready to uh, talk to you about Google I.O. What's going on, man? Well, my day didn't go quite as planned. Uh, we were supposed to, you know, meet in person for the first time in a while, and uh, I was going to get completely caught up, but instead my eight-year-old decided that uh, it wasn't feeling so hot, so we spent the day trying not to vomit. It's good times. Yeah, I understand. Life gets in the way, and uh, I'm right there with you. One of my daughters is sick, too, so... Uh, conference call it is. It uh, seemed to work pretty well from New York, so. You're not the on this one, though. I've just been uh, picking up scraps throughout the day on what they showed just to uh, make sure I had some background, but I didn't catch it all because, yeah, it was a weird day. Yeah, it was a weird day, and there was a lot to um, a lot to catch, too. And as I mentioned, I am downloading the uh, Android P beta as we speak, so... Hopefully, I'll get some uh, a chance to do some on-camera time with that uh, a little bit later on as well. So, um, you ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it, man. You drive. Okay. So, we had day one of Google I.O., obviously, and um, we had the keynote from Sundar Pichai, which uh, started off pretty interestingly because he started it off with talking about uh, cheeseburgers and beer foam, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. And then he quickly dived into the meat of the, um, the broadcast, which I thought was kind of funny also, and I'll mention this for our viewers and for our listeners, that um, we have a blog, a live blog recap up at silicontheory.com, so if you want, you can check that out as well to cover all the major stuff. And I'm going to read some of the things that I wrote from that as well. Um, some some feel-good stories, and then um, he led off with uh, Smart Compose, which looks like basically it will almost completely automate writing emails for you. So um, any thoughts, any feelings on that at all? No, I saw it. It's one of those weird features where I can't decide if I, it's going to be super useful or super annoying. Uh, if it works well, it seems like it would be relatively amazing. It if does. it doesn't, it seems like it's going to be a... Well, yeah, it does when it's on display and he's doing it. I just wonder in practice what this is going to be like. I agree, and I think that um, some of the things, hell, maybe even a lot of the things that we're going to talk about tonight uh, are good in theory, maybe not so good in practice, um, with maybe a couple of exceptions, but um, I agree. I think Smart Compose is one of those kind of things where it's a lot like the Smart Replies from Inbox right now, where if you use it and you really use it, you probably like it, and if you don't use it, it probably, for the first little bit while it's getting to know you, uh, may not make a lot of sense to you. So. Um, I guess we'll have to use it and see. Yeah, again, it's not a bad idea. I mean, you know, like Swift, that was one of the big attractions as far as keyboards go, was uh, it, when it does suggestions, it's pretty, pretty great, right? So, Absolutely. Most, most of the time when it makes a suggestion, it's got used to whatever words I use, and it pops those up, and the vast majority of the time, it gets it right. So it's really handy. Uh, I just feel like texting, though, because it's more shorthand, it lends itself more to that, maybe. I'm not sure how it's going to translate in like emails when I'm composing an actual, you know, email to someone. What's a little more as far as the content, but great idea. Willing to definitely give it a shot. It, it worked well in the demo, so yeah, for we'll sure. See. And uh, I think that was kind of the theme of some of the stuff um, you and I were talking offline about how there seemed like there was a lot more that was interesting this year than last year. Uh, although I, I mocked you for forgetting about the evolution and revolution that is notification dots. But um, it does seem like, um, especially those things that are incorporated with the Google Assistant and with Android P, that there's a lot of stuff that is 
new and interesting as opposed to just new. Would you agree? Yeah, I thought this year was significantly more interesting than the last two years. Um, yeah, it's one of those things too. We were discussing this today. I couldn't remember what your aloe got introduced, but I remember after that one, we just kind of shook our heads and go, "What? What are they doing?" That's because nobody remembers the- aloe or duo very much at all. Yeah, there was no. I think duo actually. Duo has been useful, but aloe definitely it's dead now. But uh, it's one of those things where in years past they just it was kind of scattershot. They would show good things. I feel like this year was level in kind of the direction they're going. So there's a lot of different things they showed, but there was a lot of variations on theme, right? It's a lot of AI stuff. It's a lot of Google Assistant stuff. They're just moving that direction. And I don't know, the things they showed today, some of them I agree, like, are probably more cool in demo form than maybe reality, but they're at least interesting concepts. It doesn't have my attention much more in the last couple of years. I thought it was a, a much better presentation. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that there was a theme, and we talked a little bit about um, about this last year, but it seemed like there wasn't a real big um, driving theme. And uh, for those of you keeping track at home, uh, Android P update still attempting to install. Um, it, it does seem like there's a lot more unification and a lot more of a common theme that was going on this year with I.O., um, and Sundar talked in years past about how they were moving from a mobile first to an AI first philosophy. And that really shows in a lot of the things that we're going to talk about um, machine learning being applied to even the tiniest of things um, from um, app management and battery management on device to um, cloud computing as far as Google Lens and some of this Google Photos sharing stuff. And he actually made a point of sharing that they have this new chip that is designed for um, handling some of the graphics processing and it's so powerful and generates so much heat that they actually needed to, for the first time, have it be liquid cooled in their data center. So that's uh, pretty impressive and uh, maybe a nice segue to some of the stuff that he talked about from Google Photos. I really enjoyed the um, one button share suggestions um, as well as the potential to convert existing documents into PDFs. That seemed like it would be extraordinarily useful. Um, I use that a lot actually. I take pictures of receipts and other things and store them in Google Photos in case I should need to, uh, basically as an archive in case I need to get at them again. And converting them to PDF would make that easy to share. So if I need to send that receipt to my wife or something like that would be pretty cool. Uh, And the same thing with photos. They also touted the ability to colorize older black and white photos, which they did this a lot with the, um, uh, the photo scan feature, which is now baked into Google Photos. Uh, that they introduced a couple years ago, so that seems like it's pretty cool. And again, their photo processing technology, both in the image uh, processing on the on the device itself in the forms of the pixel, as well as the after um, market stuff with just Google Photos, seems like it's second to none. And this just seemed to me to be like more of an iteration and, and making a great product even greater. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they took something they already had the lead in and they really extended it over anyone else. Watching all these things they showed today, um, I do the same thing you do. I, I take pictures of dots and important stuff all the time, and just keep it in photos. It's kind of like a backup, and I agree. Ability to get, there's a lot of utility for me to be able to convert that into a PDF or, or some more standard format rather than just a picture. So that's great. And yeah, a lot of the, the stuff that they showed, as far as um, you know, the the ability to, you know, brighten your pictures up or kind of apply some of the, 
I was thinking as I was looking at it, I'm like, you know, the pixel phone will make some, some great sort of fancy processing is going to the background, and I don't think we're necessarily getting all of that with what they introduced today in the new version of Photos, but it's kind of moving that direction a little bit, at least to me. It's, it's you know, a lot of the post-processing things that you can do, that's kind of the magic of their photos, and in the pictures that they showed, it definitely, there's a noticeable improvement. It's, it may not be as accurate, but when you're taking a picture of your kid or something that punches up the colors, it, I don't know, to my eyes, I'm not a pro photographer, it just looks more appealing to me. So, Agreed. A, a lot of the stuff they showed there was neat. Um, and, again, I feel like they're kind of unrivaled here. I, I mean, I think you could argue that, like, you know, Huawei with the P20 Pro, maybe Apple, of course, it's excellent, and, and Samsung, to some extent, that's excellent photo processing, but to me, as far as the magic on the back end and the algorithms they use to make photos look good, Google's already the leader, and they just kind of, I don't know, they seem to be just linking their lead a little bit, and now they're plumbing it to, even if you don't have a, a pixel, uh, you can make your pictures look better by virtue of some of their processing tricks, so... Yeah, and second, third-party apps, I was going to say secondary apps, but third-party apps can take advantage of the Pixel Visual Core APIs to enhance those photos for things like Snapchat and Instagram. Um, so I think you're right. I think they took a, an already pretty significant lead and then expanded it. Um, it's funny that you should mention that um, they're moving ahead from other people in this area because uh, as it pertains to the Google Assistant, which was the next thing that Sundar talked about, and he um, seg segued to um, Scott Huffman, um, I thought it was funny because I saw a tweet, I think it was from um, Stephen Hall from 9to5Google who was at the event and uh, when they were talking about the, um, the Google Assistant and the phone calls that it made um, using their, I forget what it's called, I have to take a look at my notes again, but the, uh, the basically the artificial intelligence that interfaces between your calendar and talks to a live person to schedule appointments and things like that. He, he tweeted, Siri is dead. It, Google officially killed it today. And then I saw another tweet from, um, uh, from Dan Seifert from The Verge where he's like, 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific, uh, Sundar Pichai takes stage and says, um, lol, we got the cheese on the cheeseburger wrong, wrong. Look at this floating beer. And then at 10.40 a.m., hey, we created an AI that can actually carry on an intelligent conversation and replace you. And I'm like, yeah, those things, those two things did happen in about a 40 minute span of time, and it was pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. I saw MKBHD post something too of, you know, something to the extent if it's remarkable that Apple's had Siri now for something like seven years or nine years, maybe even. And it's like, you know, this is basically a company, Apple, that has unlimited resources, and it really pales in comparison to what Google's doing with Assistant now. So, yeah, I think this is one of those things. It's kind of been interesting in the assistant space. I mean, for a while, I think Amazon with Alexa kind of came out of nowhere from my perspective where, you know, it looked for a while like it was Google Assistant and then you had Cortana from Windows and then you had uh, Siri for Apple. It was kind of like those were the big three assistants to some, to some degree. And then, um, you know, Amazon came out with the Echo. Alexa was the thing. And Alexa was huge and still is to some extent. But... When you're looking at like the group of four, I don't see how anyone keeps up in that space with Google. Um, it, that really is their bread and butter, right? It's it's one of those things where Apple has hardware. They're they're not really a they're not a search company, right? They don't have all the information and everything that Google has on you, um, people searches and all that history. And so, 
it's one of those things where inevitably I feel like people need to win in this space. Um, but it's kind of remarkable over the last couple of years that they kind of had a lead and then they've, they've run away from the field would be my perspective right now as far as building what a system can do. Um, and some of the demos they showed, you know, where it's like, hey, make me a hair appointment or a pizza, <laughs> those kinds of things. Um, like, it's kind of a wild moment. I go, wow, that's really cool. Um, I saw Ruddick from Android police say, you know, this is one of those Google things that is really tone deaf because <laughs> he's going, you're, you know, our business is really going to want, you know, what kind of smug asshole does it be? You know, I don't even have time to call my appointment. I'm going to have my Google assistant do it for me. Yeah. Um, and will people even respond to that or will they just hang out and be in the light? Um, so, I think he you know, described like, it as the most googly thing ever. Yeah, it's, in practice, I don't know how this will go. But in theory, I mean, I can see, I was thinking about it today, like, I don't want to make myself sound like I'm so important. But, you know, I work, I'm busy, we have a huge project, and there's a lot going on. And I was thinking, you know, it would be nice just to go, oh, yeah, I, I'm supposed to have a dentist appointment in six months. And, you know, assistant, call them, make the appointment confirm the appointment, whatever, and just put it on my calendar. It's like, I could, you know, search through my calendar, find where I have an open space, make the appointment. It sounds really cool in theory. Um, I don't know how well it's going to work in practice. I, I think it's one of those things that's like, I just can't a wide swap using it, but, I mean, it's pretty badass, right? It's, yeah, you know? yeah, it kind of is, until uh, I read somebody else on Twitter say that, um, the first stage of this is having the Google Assistant call the live person for the for the appointment, and then the second stage is the hairstylist getting their Google Assistant to answer the phones, and then those two AIs conversing with each other, and then deciding that what do we need humans for, and then eliminating eliminating humans, and then colonizing the stars, and AI has taken over the future. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just it, maybe so, and. You know, I was thinking today a lot of what they showed. It's like the conversational tone that they're bringing with, you know, the Google uh, Assistant, where you can have more conversational things. Like, this is some Star Trek The Next Generation stuff that 20 years ago we were looking at going, no, man, that, that seems impossible almost. Voice recognition sucked, and, you know, it just seemed like we're, we're way off from this. And 2018, I'm watching their, their presentation going, it's kind of here now. Uh, not completely, but the contextual understanding of what you're saying, the ability to do things like set appointments. Again, I don't know how society deals with this, if this is something that we actually want. I mean, this could fall into the category of like, you know, you were all the sci-fi movies, it was video calling, it was like, oh yeah, everyone's going to have video phones, and then everyone's like, we don't actually want video phones, because, you know, who wants to answer the phone and have them look good all the time, or have someone see what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like right now, for it, example. Yeah, we know what FaceTime when you would do, so there, there's that kind of stuff that exists, but it was really something that consumers by and large was, you know, we're kind of on the opposite direction. We not only decided that we didn't want to do that style of communication, but most people just text now. They don't even want to be on the phone in the first place. So it'll just be interesting to see what these features exist, and it's amazing that they can do it, and it's like Google Assistant way ahead of everything else from my perspective. I, I just wonder what the actual adoption rate is going to be on this. I still struggle a little bit in like the whole talking to machine thing, although we have Google Home Minis and Google Homes all over the house and we start using them more and more often. So something where I went, yeah, I'm not sure how much I'll use that other than maybe play music or that kind of thing. And now I do find myself asking questions. 
know, what's the weather, that kind of thing. So, I don't know. The fact that you can do it's incredible. I don't know what people's appetite is for those kinds of functions. I agree. Although, it's a pretty good segue because we talked a little bit about multiple actions, continued conversations, and then the the pretty please uh, portion of it, which I thought was one of the more interesting things for me simply because I've had conversations with my kids about this, but the multiple actions is allowing you to string two commands together using and, so uh, Google hot word, turn on my lights, and set the thermostat to 70 degrees. Um, That just seems like a natural progression of what you're already doing with the Google Home, especially as it's connected to the Internet of Things and smart home products. And then the, the thing that you mentioned, continued conversations, not having to say the Google hot word every single time you want to wake the device and make a command. Um, that seems to me like some of the best functionality that came out of this, um, that came out of the keynote, simply because you are interacting in a much more conversational way. You are able to accomplish more with it. And the pretty please or the manners part of it is basically just teaching young people and even in some cases adults like hey you can't just boss this ai around um you know like a like some kind of you know indentured servant um you need to be asking nicely just the same way you would ask a question of a living person um although that living person may or may not a answer in john legend's voice and b may or may not be the artificial intelligence that becomes skynet and takes over the world soon so uh, probably would be behoove us to be nicer to it. But uh, for me, those were some of the best things that came out of the keynote simply because they were uh, iterations of what was already a good product in the Google Home and the Google Home Mini and took it and made it much more robust. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about some of the things like the smart displays that they mentioned next. Lillian talked a bit about that and um, and the the contextual awareness of, of using both both voice actions as well as a visual interface. Um, but to me, for my money, the, um, the multiple actions and the continued conversations were something that were the most interesting that came out of the keynote on day one. Yeah, it seems like a natural extension of where they're at. It's something that you would kind of expect them to do, but um, they seem to be doing a nice job with it. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how it actually works in practice once my system kind of over here updates. Um, but yeah, it's neat stuff. I, it, that's fair. That's pretty fair. Yeah, I've just seen a lot of neat stuff, and I don't know how much it will catch on, but I'm kind of excited to try myself. And uh, yeah, the unquestioned meters. I'm really interested to see when you know. Apple unveils iOS 12 here shortly. Um, if, you know, a lot of the rumors on that is they focus more on performance because 11 really didn't perform as smoothly as you want. And I haven't really heard a lot as far as Siri upgrades. And it'll be interesting to see, like, I was actually sitting there thinking today, I wonder at some point if Apple just goes, you know what, we're never going to beat this. So people, you know, they'll just embrace Google Assistant to some degree. I can't ever see them actually doing that because it's just very, you know, un-Apple, so to speak. But I, I, I can't think of a way that they're going to bridge the gap and ever make Siri into a true competitor for Google Assistant. Um, and so it's like, do they continue to parade the interior product around for years or at some point do they just go, screw it, everyone's going to install Google Assistant anyway. And, you know, I 
never abandon their product, but I just I wonder what will happen to it over time. I, I agree, and, and their their approach is fundamentally different from Google, where Google is asking for all of our information up front, and Apple's approach to differential privacy is such that they're really basically saying, we don't want any of your information um, we're not commoditizing it, and as soon as we use what we need to use to give you the um, information that you want, we're dumping it. So, um, Renee Ritchie on his Vector podcast has talked a lot about this. Um, I'll link uh, some of his stuff in the show notes um, because there's some really good, interesting arguments. Because he believes that Apple can do it, but um, he also believes, like you do, that the lead might be uh, approaching insurmountable at some point. So, um, one of the things. That- about Apple and like, oh, we don't commoditize your data and that kind of thing, while true for them is kind of a red herring for me because even if you use Apple products, it's like you probably have a Gmail and you probably use Google as a search engine. So they may know slightly less about you than if you're using Android or something, but I think the reality is like consumers have basically decided that by and large, they're okay with giving up a lot of their information to these companies. So, you know, I'm not here to argue whether that's right or wrong. Um, I actually think there's something kind of, there's some nobility in Apple's kind of uh, without treating your life and, and our product is not you. But by the same token, I just wonder for the market at large, do people care? Is the convenience of these things worth losing privacy? Because so far from my experience, it seems that consumers are willing to give up privacy in order to have bells and whistles and convenience. So I don't know. Oh, I would agree, and I think that um, that that has proven that has been proven to be true because Gmail is the singular most popular email client on the face of the planet. Android phones are the single most popular platform on the face of the planet, and Google's uh, vision of search has basically dominated for what the last like ten, twelve years now. So well, I can't even remember pre-Google world practically. So. Yeah. Again, I, I'm not here to argue the merits one way or direction, but I feel like the market's already decided that they don't care. They're willing to give up privacy in order to have things like assistant and you know the convenience that Google products provide. And yeah, I, I don't know if long term, as I said, I think there's something noble about how Apple handles people's data, but I just don't know if people care that much. No, I agree. And while we've been talking, the uh, Android P beta uh, finished. So I am um, I'm installing, uh, finishing installing, and I'm doing the gestures-based navigation now. So I'm gonna take a couple shots of that on the screen. Oh my God, there's just a pill. There's no home button. There's no recents button. There's no back button. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Oh, it's actually not that big a deal as it turns out. So, um, yeah, that's uh, I gotta. I'm gonna have to show you this, man. It's pretty cool. Like the. I saw some of the animations and stuff on it today, and I saw some people that didn't like it, and other people that other people that really do seem to like it. And, wow, um, I got a lot of apps open. That's kind of weird. <laughs> that's very strange. The um, the pill things kind of I don't know. It's uh, I mean it seems like it's working okay. Um, maybe. Oops. I just launched something that I wasn't supposed to launch. Oh, there it goes. So you can kind of do a half swipe to get yourself um, get yourself into the app launcher, and then um, I guess you do a full swipe to launch the, the app drawer. drawer. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of kind of janky right now. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, but 
Um, it could be just that it's the Pixel um, XL and not the Pixel 2 XL. I'll have to play around with it some more and check it out. But um, how, uh, one question for you, this is another one of the things that actually kind of jumped out at me. How interested were you, uh, or if you saw it, that during the smart displays uh, section, Lillian said, hey, uh, wouldn't it be great if you had something that would proactively advise you of what your calendar and day was like? So if you swipe up from the Google Assistant, you get this whole tabbed thing, which tells you about your flight information, it gives you weather information, and it gives you interesting contextual information. And my first thought was, wow, that's what the Google Now feed actually used to look like before they replaced it with this trash like newsreader thing, and they're actually bringing it back. I was so excited, I can't even begin to tell you. Like, so, I, you know, I'm not using a Pixel phone, I'm using the Note 8, and I'm using Nova Launcher, and so they have kind of Google Now integration built in, and it's one of those things where, um, sorry, Sadie the dog made her presence known, she wants to join the, <laughs> she wants to join the pod. She always um, does. It's one of those things where, because I've had that, it didn't really change as much. I know Google's been experimenting with like 50 versions of this. At least. But on my, on my phone, the experience, because I've been using that, it's always been like relatively similar to what it always was. But yeah, it cracks me up. There's a couple things now where we've gone full circle. Um, I was laughing at like their drop down menu for the P data with the, uh, the way the icons look, with like the old touch words ones from like the Galaxy S5 days. Yeah. It's a bubble with that full thing and it makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, what's old is yeah. Yep. Uh, In fact, I was just looking at it um, right now when you swipe out, uh, swipe down from the top. You've got the, uh, everything is like super rounded and super bubbly and there's like whites and blues and grays and blacks and it's just really, um, it's kind of, it's kind of weird looking, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I actually like it. Um, I like that more contrasting dark look. So, I don't like it at all. Um, I think it actually looks pretty clean. Uh, you know, I'll be interested to see I'm kind of reserving judgment, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, if you're a company like that, I think they're always experimenting stuff with stuff, and people get bored of the same thing over again, so, you know, for everyone who likes the feed the way it was, there's probably people who like different variants along the way, but it does crack me up that we've kind of come back full circle to what it used to look like. Yeah, the the single most ironic thing probably that came out of that event was that they introduced something old and tried to pass it off as something new, and it was pretty hilarious. So, good times Man, there. Can't, can't blame for Drive. No, true that, true that. What did you think about the um, relaunch and the rebrand of the Google News stuff? It's funny, I actually don't use Google News a ton, and I'm a news junkie, so that's interesting. Uh, I tend to like Twitter more for news aggregation for me, which is funny, but... It looks promising. In fact, I'll probably give it a try. I was just looking, you know, they have the APK, I have an APK mirror, so I was going to download it after we finish and kind of uh, give it a shot. Uh, but yeah, historically, I haven't messed with Google News a ton. Um, I tend to rely on my Google Now feed on uh, the integration and um, Nova Launcher, and then I, as I said, use Twitter predominantly for new stuff, so uh, I haven't used it a ton, but it looks promising, and again, you know, as I was looking at it, I was thinking if anyone's going to know what news I read all the time and do a good job of kind of picking out things for me, Google's probably going to do it better than someone else, so it kind of, it makes sense. And I'll, I'll definitely, instead of going to download the APK after we're done and 
see what it's all about. But uh, it's funny, historically, it's not something I use that much. And the interesting thing to me was that they talked again about how AI is going to be curating the news feed from trusted sources, whomever those trusted sources are, and that they're they're trying to do what Facebook could not, which is basically um, filter out the fake news and the junk news from the actual news and uh, absolve it of bias and basically try and give everyone a, a news aggregator that could be trusted. Um, rather than having to turn something that's as subjective as Twitter or as that as as subjective as Facebook or outright you know wrong or lies as Facebook could be, so that was pretty interesting. Um, and talking again about the lead that Google has over the marketplace, again Renee Ritchie tweeted out um, years later, and Apple News is still just in a handful and a half of countries. Google is launching news in 127 countries today. So frustrating. And I think that, again, in some ways, Google is very concentrated in certain areas and they're focused on making the areas that they have those leads in even larger leads. And uh, again, it does seem strange that Apple as a company, um, and again, you know, news is not something that involves differential privacy at all. It's, it's strange that a company that you know, has over $60 billion in revenue in a quarter can't figure out how to get their services team on a, a newsreader and have it launch in more than just like you know, the US, Canada, and like Western Europe. Is it though? Like, okay, let's say they did that. They invest a ton of money and they make this kick-ass news feed. How does that make them money? Selling ads, baby. They don't sell ads, though. Google sells ads. True, but the the end result would be is that it's it's more ecosystem lock-in and it's more services. Like that's why they bought Texture. Like they're going to have magazine subscriptions before too long, digital magazine subscriptions that'll be in their newsstand app. You just watch and see, and they'll probably have some kind of like they'll integrate some kind of Kindle ebook or something like that where you can buy even more subscriptions and then then roll that money into their services revenue and find a way to get people more locked into the Apple ecosystem versus the Google ecosystem. I mean, I guess, I'm sure you're right. I just, do people really care about that one? And two, it's one of those things again where people buy Apple products in my mind because they want the premium hardware and they want the easy integration between all of their Apple products. And that's what Apple kind of does best, right? That's what they promise. Uh, and so it's sort of those things where, I don't know, their version of Maps is never going to be as good as Google Maps. Their version of News is never going to be as good as Google News. Um, flip side, apparently, uh, Google's version of um, text messaging will never be as good as Apple's. Um, there, there's just certain things where it's like, yeah, I mean, they could, but I don't know why they would. I mean, it, well, Siri invested a gazillion dollars into their maps program, and they did catch up to Google somehow. What is really nothing? Yeah. And they won't. In fact, I was listening to the Vergecast um, on the way into work today. I think uh, either that, uh, yeah, it must have been on the way into work today. And uh, Casey Newton was talking about like. Yeah, Apple Maps has gotten better, but people, you know, have famously lost people. He's like, that happened to me this year. He's like, I lived in Arizona for uh, six years and I went back for a wedding and guess which app got me lost in a cul-de-sac that it didn't know was there. Yeah, like, okay, here's our question. Why is he using Apple Maps? (laughs) Ecosystem lock-in. It's it's just one of those dumb things. Like, okay, again, as an Apple user, what is the advantage of using Apple Maps over Google Maps, save for, I guess... None. You know, Google's... Well, I guess there is privacy. 
Google's collecting all your information and theory apples. And Tra tracking your so, location while you're using maps. Yes, so I agree. So Google's trying to commoditize it and Apple isn't. That's always going to be the difference. But again, for general average person, I don't think they give a damn. No, and I agree. And they're about to use the superior product. So, yeah, I don't know. Like Apple, again, yes, they could do whatever they want. They have enough. They're sitting on like just, you know, literally a running pile. So it's not that they can't do these things. I just, I have a tough time explaining why they would. Yeah, agreed. And maybe you're right. The uh, the Android P stuff was really awesome. Uh, again, we talked a little bit about the machine learning portions of it. Things like, um, well, Dave Burke talked about their three pillars, right? What they were really focusing on for Android P. Intelligence, <clears throat> excuse me, simplicity, and uh, digital wellness or digital well-being. So with uh, intelligence, you get things where machine learning is doing things like adaptive battery, adaptive brightness, app actions, and slices. What um, what stood out to you? Um, what stood out to you the most amongst those things? Well, I would say first and foremost, Android P is exciting in a lot of ways for me. I think it's the, the most exciting release of Android in a while. Um, Android, you know, Oreo didn't really do much for me. Frankly, I was kind of like, okay, and and Nougat was kind of similar. There really wasn't Nougat. There really wasn't anything in those two releases that were like, oh, I gotta have this. Um, I didn't really see a lot of anything, and I kind of chalked that up to kind of we're just immature OSs, and that's just kind of the way it is. We're not moving as quickly, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked a lot of what they showed. Um, the demo on the battery, like where they're quoting thirty percent better battery life, I don't think that's going to translate into reality. <laughs> but anything that can give us better battery life, sure, that's I think one of the biggest deals as far as we're concerned. I would like better flashing, so it's nice to see them really work out of that arena. And, and it's and nice. Brightness, it's nice to know that Google is consistent in having claimed increased battery life in every version of Android since Ice Cream Sandwich. Uh, it literally <laughs> is like a running gag. Although this one seems like they're might actually come true. Yeah, well, I, I think they're better than those other ones. And then the adaptive brightness stuff. This is one thing that I think smartphones struggle with, just generally speaking. I think I've never had a phone where I love the auto brightness all the way. There's always times where it's not quite right. So. More intelligent auto brightness. Yeah, sounds great. I'm all um, for it. How will it work in practice? I don't know. I mean, like, they showed their demo and they showed the graphic learning, what you do and what applications, how you do, what you want to see, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's, it's great. But I want to see once I get in my hand, is it actually something I notice? And, you know, but, but other things were, I think, you know, like the volume. Thing they, they went through for quite a long time. I've had this happen on you know, multiple occasions, which is right. Like, yep. you go to a little video or something, you hit the volume rocker, and it's for your ringer, not for the independent media. Super annoying. Um, super and annoying. That's super, super annoying. And, you know, they showed that demo, that little menu that comes out from the right, where it basically now defaults to be media, and then there's a little button above it where you can effectively set your phone to three ringer modes, like silent vibrate, you know, ring. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And there was some, actually, there were some complaints about, well, now I have to use uh, solely a software toggle to um, mute my phone because if you press the volume down by the default, it would adjust the media volume and not the ringer volume. So like if you're going into a meeting before you could pull your phone out of your pocket, just hit the hardware keys and turn it on mute. But there actually is a hardware trick. I think I saw... Um, yeah, I think I think it's power and volume up. I think I saw Dieter from The Verge uh, on Twitter demo this. He showed a, the combination of hardware keys and Android P. I think it's I think it's power and volume up, and it'll actually um, toggle between um, mute 
uh, vibrate and then ringer, which I think is a, a really elegant and kind of cool solution to that problem because in essence, instead of trading one problem for another, you're actually providing a much more long-term solution to both issues. Look, you're never going to make everyone happy, but I do think their solution makes sense for more people than the way it has been. Yeah, so I, I I'm actually not, you know, look, again, it's never going to be perfect, but I'm fine with what they've come up with. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, you know, the gesture, the gesture-based navigation of the user interface has been moving for a while now. I mean, we were just discussing it. The implementation seems very much like on the iPhone 10. Um, but, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. I, I've been using Mobile Launch for some time and I have to switch configured, so I have it swipe up, you know, from the app core, not the app core, has that the launcher, and I have other gestures set up to do things, so I've kind of already waited into this pool. Um, this is one of those things where there's going to be a learning curve, but I think looking, looking at the implementation, how it means, it mostly makes sense to me, and I think I'll get used to it pretty quickly. The yeah. thing that'll be interesting to see for me is, you know, I, I was looking at it today going, how in the hell is Samsung going to implement this? And what I mean by that is, their version of Android is so customized. You know, they finally just got away from physical buttons on the Galaxy S8, and they're such a huge user base that they seem kind of really reluctant to introduce big changes in UI navigation because, you know, they, they want to keep their sales up. So it'll be really interesting to see if they embrace this or not. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see the next version, even P's version of Samsung defaulting maybe to still having the three-button combo and then having gestures be like a secondary option or something. Well, and even um, in the even in the developer preview, it's turned off by default. You actually have to go in and switch it on, and that uh, is something probably that could very well be a concession to some of these OEMs that, uh, like Samsung, um, and I noticed that most of the larger OEMs were absent from the Android P beta program as well. It was mostly just the smaller, you know, small-ish, like Essential and Oppo and Sony and Vivo and... Um, OnePlus and some of these other ones and, and the Huawei's and the Samsung's and the LG's were not on that list and it could be that this is, you know, they have some of these as concerns and there's also economies of scale there too. They're not going to allow, um, you know, a bunch of different carrier variants to just all receive the Android beta at the same time. But um, you, you could very well be right with that because the developer preview right now allows for that exact same use case. I was unaware of that as a matter of fact because I, I just haven't read that yet. But it makes sense. It's like going to probably be a gap, gradual transition. I'm going to be honest. I'll turn it on as soon as I can get it. And I don't think I'll look back. <laughs> uh, gestures are the wave of the future for UI navigation on smartphones, in my opinion. Um, so I'm glad to see them embrace it. I don't really care that it's an iPhone 10 ripoff. I think that, as I said, it's not like Apple is the first to do this. I've been using gestures and Nova for Years. So, well, and if you really want to, if you really want to chase it back to its source, um, Web and, OS, right? yeah, WebOS and the Palm people yeah. would take issue with that. So, um, and Dave Burke did say that they've been working on this project for over a year, so it does predate the iPhone 10. Um, and actually, that was one of the least. Uh, it was one of the things I found the least hard to adapt to when we were doing our review of the iPhone 10 was the gesture-based navigation. Um, for you listening and for you watching, I'll leave a link to that down in the description if you want to check that out as well. But um, there were some things that I didn't care for about the iPhone 10, but the gesture navigation was not one of them. After about five minutes, I was used to it and I was ready to go. Yeah, so, you know, and the beta program's cool. You, you named a bunch of the companies Essential, um, OnePlus, the impending six, and uh, Sony, Oppo, so those companies. That's pretty neat, I do have to say. Um, 
you know, it was one of those times where it's like, man, I wish I had my mom's essential phone in front of me because it would be cool to download the beta and start trying things. Um, but it's neat to see that expand and more, you know, I, I have to imagine this is because of Project Treble, but to some extent it's easier to do these kinds of things for the Xiaomi's of the world because they're on the list as well. Um, it's pretty neat. So it's cool to see that you can, you know, if you're a customer, you have some choice now and if you want to launch it, these previews, you don't only have to have a Pixel phone to do it. Um, and Android P, by and large, like, I'm more, as I said, excited for this release than that any other version of Android in a couple of years. Um, I see some really cool improvements. Hmm. Um, I, I really am interested in trying out gestures. And uh, yeah, I, I thought they did a great job with it. Android's come a long way and it's mature, but it just goes to show there's still room for tweaks. And again, they're focusing on areas that I think make the most sense. I think consumers now, battery life, you know, camera, um, overall smoothness, um, those kinds of things are what's most important to consumers, and they seem to be focused in on that. So, what do you think? Um, what do you think about the digital wellness stuff? What do you think about things like the dashboard to give you the ability to see what apps you're spending how much time on, and app timers to allow you to limit yourself to an amount of time um, to actually use it before it kind of fades out into that weird grayscale thing. Uh, along with um, wind down, which allows you to do the same thing. Um, basically set a timer like at 10 o'clock, you wind down and it turns everything into grayscale. Do you think we need, um, do you think people, well, do you think that smartphone addiction thing is so real and so predominant that Google needs to build some of these features into the OS? Or do you think it's mostly just kind of like um, striking while the iron is hot because, hot because this is kind of a, a buzzworthy topic right now? I think it's always great to have controls in the OS so that you have the ability to make choices on these kinds of things. I think smartphone addiction is a very real thing. I don't think 99% of Android users will use these features. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I heard the Could guy give this whole very nice speech on, I went on vacation and my wife tossed my phone in the safe and I was really able to cut loose. And it's like, I was listening to the story going, yeah, that's cute. But, you know, I would never... You'd have to sever my arm and probably get my smartphone away from me for two weeks. It's just... Yeah, I think he made know, that up. I think it's completely made up. Yeah, I, probably so. Um, but, yeah, I think it's good that we address this as a society that, yes, we're all, you know, probably unhealthily... Um, spend an unhealthy amount of time, excuse me, so to speak, on our electronic devices. But I just look at it and kind of go, eh, people don't like to put limits on themselves. Um, this is America. We until we're, you know... Dying, basically. Yeah, it's like that famous meme, yeah, I, I don't eat until I fall, I, I eat until I hate myself. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, that's just the way it is here, and I don't see that fundamentally changing, but again, it's nice to have options, like it's parents, and it's really kids, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's where example. the... That's where it seems like that's that's where the bang for the buck is for my money is, you know, maybe not for grown-ups like you and me, but for kids, teens, and tweens that have their smartphones, parents now have the ability to provide for these kinds of controls, um, well, building along the already pretty good granular controls for parents um, that Android provides right now. I think this is a really uh, interesting thing, and I think it could potentially be a good thing in the long run, like if you can limit your kid's Snapchat usage, if you can limit their Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp usage, like... Those are the kinds of things that as a parent, uh, you know, as we both are, parents of kids that will grow up in a more digital age than we did, uh, even though we ourselves are pretty tech savvy, these are the kinds of concerns that we have right now. And I think that it's it's actually 
kind of cool that Google's got a little bit of forethought about them, although we will have to sell our children's data in order to use these phones. But still, I think it's a fair trade. Yeah, sorry about the barking city took exception to something you said. Um, you know, I, I kind of liken this to, it's funny, as I'm watching these, it's like, you know the blue light filters that are built into kind of every OS now? It's like, oh yeah, at night it'll, you know, start filtering out blue and it helps you sleep better and whatnot. Yeah. I want, I'm one of those customers that goes like, no, that's a good idea, and I've never, ever, ever turned it on. <laughs> um, and, and the reasoning for that for me is I, I actually hate I hate warm displays. I mean, I'm, mm. I'm famous for my pickiness on displays dating back to the Nexus 6, which... Yes, yes, you are. Which was yellow to the point of being unusable, but, like, I hate blue light filters. Um, so I, I know intellectually that it's better to use the blue light filter. It's like, oh, you better REM sleep and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's better for you. It's less straining on your eyes, and it starts putting you into a, you know, better cycle for sleep. But it's like, I can't bring myself to do it because I hate it so much. So it's kind of like... I don't know. It's great that they put these controls in place. I can see using using them for my son. I can't see myself actually using them by and large. But again, it, it's it's a good thing that we focus on. Um, we do an unhealthy fixation, I think, with our phone, social media, and a lot of the problems that you're seeing in society with a whole host of things are, you know, politics and um, depression, kids and whatnot are probably directly uh, caused by this but um, so it's nice to have some controls in place I just again think it's one of those things where I'm not sure consumers really have an appetite for this or what you think you know what's funny is uh, these things are built in it seems like for people who want to exercise self-control and self-control is the thing that I think that we lack the most. Like in both of the examples that we use, we're like, oh, I would absolutely apply these strictures and guidelines to my children. Oh, for me, oh, hell no, I'm not gonna use these damn things. What are you talking about? Like, it's more of a, an imposed uh, set of controls rather than self-control. And it seems like self-control is really where these things are trying to be directed at. And it may in fact fail miserably for that, but they may find a new life uh, in another market segment, who knows? Yeah, I think it's a nice thing. I think it's a societally something that we should focus on. I don't think I'll ever use it. So the last thing that came up that was mentioned was um, that all of this stuff is supposed to be coming out this fall, um, including this uh, shush feature that allows you to flip your phone over on the counter if it's already resting on the desktop to basically put it into like a permanent D&D mode. Do you think, um, and we've kind of already touched on this a little bit, but do you have issues with um, notifications disturbing you either while you sleep or while you're in a meeting? Like, is a smartphone addiction thing such that you, you have to be checking your phone when you know that it has notifications? Would you use uh, a setting where you could just flip your phone over and get like perfect peace and quiet, even if it's for just a little while? Um, no. So at work, I typically leave my personal phone in my office when I go to meetings that are in the building um, just so I you know, kind of roll of thumb on this as if it's really not big of an emergency you'll call me back twice and you know I'm not an EMT or something so really if you call me I'm probably not going to say you if there's a, a real emergency emergency um, but I thought that was really neat yes um, it just is a convenient way to do that so and I know a lot of people do that anyway so it, it it makes a lot of sense as a feature to be able to flip your phone over and have it go silent. Yeah, I, and I use Tasker for a lot of these things to automate the 
um, putting my phone into vibrate mode and turning it off of vibrate mode when I'm when I have certain triggers like certain times of the day or when I'm geofenced and I leave certain areas. So for people who aren't as tech savvy, um, who don't have the ability to use Tasker to its fullest extent, uh, and it's been kind of nerfed in some of the more recent um, Android updates anyways, but just to have the ability of, oh, I'm in a meeting and I forgot to turn off my phone and just kind of quickly flip it over, you know, either in the middle of a phone call or while you're receiving text message or something like that. It just seems really intuitive and it seems again more like more evidence that Google is really focusing on things in this Android P release that people could actually use even if they choose not to use them, but that they're there for a purpose. And it seems like um, ultimately the Android team in this particular release feels like, it feels to me like they're really starting to get what the consumer wants. Um, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's the downside of this feature? None. If you don't want to use it, you don't use it. Yeah. And it just seems convenient otherwise. So yeah, I think they are homing in on some of the things that are useful to consumers potentially. Like, you know, honestly, throughout the years, Google, Samsung, everyone's guilty of this. They just, sometimes I feel like they're just adding features for features' sake just to fit in the other side they had. Uh, and it was like, yeah, that's great. No, no one cares. Uh, but in this case, like that kind of feature, I go, yeah, I think there's absolutely a use case for that. I think there's a practical application for that. So it's just, it's, it's a dumb thing, but it's one of those things where I think once you add it, you probably, if you didn't, if they, if they took it away for some reason, you didn't have it, I think you'd miss it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Anything, so, uh, anything else from the keynote that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, as I said, overall, it was all about interesting year. Um, we had this, you know, there was this rumor that showed up two weeks ago because they went through the SEC and a new Chromecast going through, which ended up not being true. But they did release a new Android TV developer device. I think it's like an Android developer D2 or something. That, yeah, so um, bummed is, about this, man. So bummed that it's not going to be available for sale. Yeah, it's a dongle that has basically the same guts as the 4K uh Chromecast Fire from last year. Yeah, uh, that was what I read. Uh, yeah, it's the ADT2 dongle for developers. I have to figure this will probably come out. You know, some variant of this will come out at some point. Uh, but and it would be nice to have something a little more robust than the Chromecast, perhaps for for this kind of thing. So if the price were right, I'd probably buy one. Same here, and that's the um, my only hope is that we'll get it at the hardware event, and that because it was hardware related and it's a, a reference device that they're going to have basically kind of a modified version come out maybe later on in the year with the Pixel devices because they announced a bunch of Android TV updates that look awesome, but Android P is not going to be coming to the Nexus player, and the only other device capable of running it is a Shield TV, and no one wants to pay that much money for freaking Shield TV. Yeah, the Shield TV is the best of that product on the market, but yeah, you're right. I just, it's too much money for me. I'll just buy a Chromecast, thank you. But, um, yeah, pretty much. No, I'm excited to see a version of that. I think almost assuredly we'll see one in October when they do that hardware meeting. So Cross my I'm fingers. excited to see that at the end of the year. And yeah, overall, I thought this was just a much stronger year than that. Um, the last two IOs didn't really leave me with much that I was intrigued about or really interested about, but I did find myself today in between uh, puking, um, <laughs> looking at things on the internet and finding some intrigue. Poor Jack. Uh, yeah, one poor kid. Um, and the features that they showed were interesting. And I, as I said, I'm excited to kind of get my hands on Android P. I think more than likely, I'll be on my mom's essential. Like, in all likelihood, I'll have upgraded the Note 8 before Samsung ever upgrades it to P. Uh, because I, 
I would imagine a key upgrade for the Note 8 is probably like, you know, March next year. It's unlikely I'll be still have I'll still have this phone at that point, uh, which is a shame. Um, but uh, sure, sure, that's a shame. I'm you sound real broken up about it. Well, I mean, I actually <laughs> am in this case. As I said, when when Owen N got announced, it was kind of like I don't care. There was nothing in the OS where I was like, oh yeah, I really want to have that. So the fact that Samsung is late to the party was just like, man, whatever. Yeah, no this big one deal. I feel di- this one I feel differently about. I actually want it. Just if nothing else, I think for the gesture navigation, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be great to get that, and it's not going to happen. I'm, you know, you know what you're getting when you're buying a Samsung phone. You're, you're getting, you know, one update maybe per calendar year. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Good stuff. I'm excited to get the upgrades on my assistant. Kind of check out on my Google Minis. That is, check out the assistant upgrades, um, and. Uh, yeah, this year's been like a, a weird year. Like last year, we were so hyped with all the um, stuff that was coming out. This year, it's felt like kind of a weird letdown so far. I know that sounds really bizarre. It was like the Galaxy S9, the S9 Plus just kind of came off as, uh, I don't know, kind of a, a do-over of last year. And all the notch phones were really floating back though. They just seem so derivative to some degree. So uh, it's funny. The, the phones I'm kind of not as high on as I was last year. Um, they're kind of below my expectations, but Google exceeds my expectations. So there you go. Weird year. Fair enough. And we'll have um, we'll have some hands-on time with one of those notch phones. The G7 should be here this week. Um, we'll also have the Galaxy S9 by the uh, S9 Plus by the end of this week. So we'll have reviews for both of those coming soon. And uh, the next time I see you, I'll uh, I'll drop my Pixel XL on you. You can play around with Android P if you want. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to get my hands on it. So right on. Yeah. What are your final thoughts? Yeah. Um, I I was I was pleasantly surprised. I think is probably where I'd go with this. I didn't have high hopes because of again the last couple of years not being super fantastic. But uh, again, I think Google really got the theme and the tone of the keynote right in that they were really focusing on making functional improvements and not just kind of like we already talked about adding crap for crap's sake. Because um, I think a lot of the things that are built in will be really useful both from the Google Assistant and the AI and machine learning both on the device and in the cloud side. And also from the Android side, uh, I'm excited to play around with Android P and um, you know, I, I, it's a beta, otherwise I would have installed it on my Pixel 2 XL. But um, you know, I, I think like you do that the gesture navigation is kind of the way of the future and if, if it can get some of the bugs and, and things kinked out, some of the kinks ironed out, um, I think it could definitely be um, a really interesting step forward for Android, one that probably has been missing for, for quite some time, maybe not since before, um, you know, maybe not since before even like, um, like before even Lollipop, like even uh, 4.0, I think was probably the biggest um, subtle shift, although material design came in with Lollipop, even though there were some, some bugs in Lollipop, but um, you know, maybe since the Android 4.0 or Android 5.0 days, those those are probably the two biggest shifts forward. And this may also represent uh, a new stage for for Android and the newest shift forward for them. So I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, and in like five or ten years from now, when the Google AI has enslaved humanity, we can look back fondly on this podcast and laugh at what a quaint life we lived in. How ironic it is that we're excited about AI. We're right? all get, we're all getting turned into batteries, man. Just like in the Matrix. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our Google overlords. Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to end it. So, all righty, my friend. Have a good well, night. 
you too, man. Once my pl- once my house is no longer uh, a plague house, Cor- um, quarantine. We'll get together and do a joint video. But until then, uh, it was fun. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Thanks for watching and listening. We appreciate you guys. As always, you can find all of our content at silicontheory.com. Follow us on social. We are at Silicon Theory on the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Silicon Theory. Thanks again. And remember, we will talk tech soon.